such a wonderful passage from the scripture reading today and also reminds us, right, that faith begins in our heart, but is expressed through confession as we recognize the Lord as Lord and Savior. Um, And that needs to be part of our message to others, right? That as you believe, you also profess, you make a confession. Um, The passage that we're studying from today is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. And let's ask the Lord to speak to us as we look to his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. We come to you as children that have a loving father. Children that oftentimes are in need, and you see each of our needs even before we ask. And so we want to say thank you. You've shown yourself faithful so many times to provide for our needs, to give us what we don't deserve, not to give us the judgment that we do deserve, and to grant us salvation through your son, Jesus. We want to thank you that you've made it so easy to approach you as we receive your forgiveness of our sin, as we confess with our mouth that you are Lord and Savior, and that you welcome us into your spiritual family. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Touch people's hearts through your word and through your truth. We commit this time to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I see the theme of this passage as profession of faith and submission in life. And uh, as you can see, uh, there's a picture. This was taken in Ukraine in the city called Poltava, where Martin and I served for seven years. Uh, The young man next to me, his name is Vlad. He didn't always have a smile on his face. Uh, He was a rebellious young person. I think by the time that he was uh, 14, he had been in youth prison four times. Uh, By his own um, story, he said, I didn't have a dad growing up, and I rebelled against anybody who was in the position of authority. And he started using drugs. I told you part of the story another time. But... uh, while he was in prison, interestingly enough, a prison guard, right, the, the one representing authority in the prison, gave him a Bible. And Vlad uh, didn't have much to do. He started reading the Bible while he was in prison. And uh, he also, uh, at that time, was already diagnosed with AIDS uh, from using needles, uh, sharing needles. Uh, his body was getting weak. He read the gospel And he said, Lord, could you forgive me of my life of rebellion against you? And then he professed, he believed that Jesus was the Savior. He started reading. And at one point in time, uh, as he said that he would have to brace himself on the wall to walk to get um, his meals. Uh, In those prisons, by the way, they don't even provide heat in the wintertime. Martin and I visited a youth prison. All of the young people's face were all kind of like pale and blue, and many of them had tuberculosis. And Vlad said, Lord, you've forgiven me such a great burden, so much rebellion against you. It's not hard for you to touch and heal me. And actually, he was uh, touched and healed. He was released from prison. His friends, uh, when you've been in an addictive lifestyle, oftentimes you can see if someone else is in that same lifestyle. His friends looked at him and said, well, we can see that you're clean, but what about the AIDS? Uh, 
So he went back to the um, place where they draw blood and check it, and it was proven. They had the test results beforehand that he was uh, sick with AIDS, and they had the test results afterwards. He became so focused upon the Lord that he actually submitted to the Lord and said, however you want to use my life, use it. And he became a pastor in this uh, village called Chutava that's in between Poltava and Kharkov. And he's still there serving, even in the midst of the war. And so remember uh, Vlad and Tanya, uh, his wife, as they serve. But I thought, you know, what a beautiful testimony of someone who professes Jesus is the Lord and then submits their life to the Lord and God gives them a new start. And we see this uh, as well in the passage that we're reading today. Let's uh, look now to the scripture in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and from verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. So this is in the north, very close to what is modern-day Lebanon. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Uh, Last week we talked about that, so we're going to continue on. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, meaning the Messiah. It's the word, the anointed one. Um, Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. So I see this uh, as Jesus asking questions to bring the profession, the profession that Peter made, uh, meaning like a declaration that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Uh, We're going to see that Peter had his own ideas, what the Messiah would do and how he would act on behalf of the people. But uh, we understand from the scripture and from the scripture reading that we read today from Romans chapter 10, that we are to profess or confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Uh, Profess uh, is to declare openly. Uh, And you might think of the same root of the word in English, right? A professor. What does a professor do? He takes what is in the textbook and he declares it to the students. And confess, uh, sometimes we think of the negative aspect, right? I need to confess my sins. I feel a burden because of my bad actions or attitudes. I need to confess them. But also we see in that passage in Romans that Confessing is to acknowledge and to speak, right? We're to speak with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we're to believe in our heart. And it says that is enough to have salvation. And um, Jesus, he stirs up uh, the disciples to think about who he really is and then to profess, which Peter did, that he is the Messiah. Let's look again at verse 29. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Remember, it's the anointed one. Uh, They would take oil and anoint the priest and the kings uh, to fulfill their um, transition into service before the people. And Jesus came to be anointed to take our sin upon himself and then to open up the path of salvation. He is the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But the interesting thing is what is recorded in verse 30. He strictly warned them that they should tell no one. Did I get 
Sorry about that. Uh, he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him, and that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after that, three days rise again. So uh, we see here uh, that Peter confesses that he is the Messiah. Then the interesting thing is you would kind of think Jesus would say, now go out and tell everybody. But it's actually the opposite. It says he strictly warned them. And the question is, why? Uh, Why is there the profession that Jesus is the Messiah and then the warning not to tell anyone? Well, the next verse is connected. It says he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the religious leaders, be killed, and after three days rise again. So I see this being connected. Why? Because they had their expectation of who the Messiah would be. He's going to be the one who's going to overthrow the Romans. Um, He's going to be the one to become king in Jerusalem, uh, give us peace and prosperity. But that's not what Jesus came to do in his first coming. He reveals to them that the Son of Man, he himself, Jesus, must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and then after three days, rise again. So why would he stir up the profession with these questions and then the warning? Well, a passage in John's Gospel, chapter 6, kind of helps us to understand. Uh, This was after uh, Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus the women and children. Uh, We read um, this from John, chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, they gathered them up meaning the loaves and the fish, and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, uh, the one who had eaten, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Truly this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore Jesus, when he perceived that they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So uh, picture what it is, right? He's doing the works of the Messiah. He's healing people. He's speaking God's truth. He just uh, blesses and distributes uh, all of this food. And people understand this is a miracle. Um, When Moses was prophesying in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says there's going to be another prophet like him, him you will hear. And so they understood that this was an indication that the coming Messiah would also be speaking on behalf of the Heavenly Father. So they see this miracle of the broken bread and the fish being distributed, feeding so many thousands of people. And they say, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. So uh, they're recognizing Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Then Jesus, he perceived that they're going to come and take him and by force make him king. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, We want you to be king and we want you to be king now. So what did he do? He didn't receive that. He didn't say, oh, I appreciate that. Let's go to Jerusalem. No, it says he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So it reminds us that the scripture shows us that Jesus came the first time to suffer. He didn't come first to overthrow the Romans and become king, 
but to suffer for all of the sins of humanity, to be put in the grave, and then to raise up on the third day to grant us salvation. And we see uh, very specifically in this passage in Mark chapter 8 that after Peter had the revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus then shows them and even prophesies of his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection. Let's look at this again in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Now, since a transition, right? He says these things. Peter, who recently had made this confession, right, that you are the Messiah, now Peter is torn in his heart. What? He, he can't be put to death. We're expecting him to deliver us. So what did he do? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's pretty bold, isn't it? <laughs> you know you're probably wrong if you find yourself rebuking the Lord, right? Uh, but sometimes people do that, don't they? The Lord says, you know, go and do this. Go and share with that person. And they're like, no, Lord, I'm too busy. Well, you're the one that's wrong, not the Lord. Uh, Peter took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him. But when he, Jesus, had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So again, we need to put this in the perspective of God's plan to redeem all people. And it included Jesus, who is always one with the Heavenly Father, coming down to earth, being born as a baby in Bethlehem, living a perfect life, and then giving his life in replace of our lives as the penalty for our sin, suffering, being put to death, and then on the third day, rising up from again, rising up from the grave, uh, rising again. So we see that Jesus is prophesying of this uh, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, there's a little bit more information given, and he even says that he would be betrayed and put to death in Jerusalem and then be raised from the dead. So there's no way, right, that just a regular person could prophesy who would take them, how they would suffer, that they would be crucified, and on the third day raised from the dead, and even the very location where it would happen. It's not a chance, but it is a reminder that God planned this beforehand. And there's a passage in the book of Revelation that I remember the first time reading it. I thought, that is amazing. Um, it says that they would recognize the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, right? So God's plan was to redeem us before he even created us and created the world. When Jesus foretold of his suffering and death, Peter rebuked him. Um, from a human perspective, Peter is probably trying to say, look, Jesus, uh, that's not our expectation for you. Uh, we want the Messiah to be the one to conquer our enemies and to establish the kingdom from Jerusalem. But Jesus... He turned around, 
towards his disciples and he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So why would Jesus rebuke Peter and call him Satan? Right. That, that, you know, you kind of picture the other disciples the next time that Peter made him upset. He's like, hey, do you remember what the Lord called you? Um, that's pretty serious in my understanding to have uh, the Lord say, get behind me, Satan. Um, from a pre- spiritual perspective, uh, Peter, in his thoughts, he could have been influenced by Satan. Remember, it tells us in... Um, Ephesians chapter 6, we are to put on the whole armor of God, including what? The helmet of salvation. And why? Because it says our enemy is like shooting fiery darts, you know, trying to affect us. And one of the things that we have to protect is our mind. So there is indicators in the scripture that Satan can influence a person's thought. And I know that I've had dreams where I woke it up and I'd say, whew. That was a nightmare. And it wasn't just anyone. It was like in the spiritual dimension. So it could have been that in a specific way, uh, Peter's thoughts were influenced by Satan. Or more of an indirect way that as Peter refused to accept that the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus is part of the Father's plan, then he inadvertently found himself on the side of Satan. Uh, The devil is always expressing rebellion, and he is always working against God's plan. So in one of those two uh, categories, we understand that's why Jesus called Peter and told him, get behind me, Satan. Now, verse 34, when he had called the peoples to himself with his disciples, he also said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Um, Verse 35. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me... And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Uh, I like to start with this phrase, whoever desires to come after me. Um, Desire indicates like a longing that you want. And it reminds us that God is desiring a relationship of love with us. It's a choice. Desiring to do what? To come after Jesus, right? And it should be obvious that you can't follow Jesus from the front, right? Uh, I see a lot of Christians that they know how to live life. Uh, They want to put things together according to their own plan. And they acknowledge the Lord in a little aspect of their life. But in reality, they're just kind of running ahead. But the words of Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let's remember, we can't follow from the front. If we want to be a disciple, a person who learns from Jesus, we need to remember he is the one that goes first and we follow him, which also indicates that we submit to his will. Uh, As we follow Jesus in a relationship of love, 
we find true freedom. Uh, have you found the goodness and the freedom of God? Uh, do you believe that God is good? All right. We all would say, yes, God is good. Uh, do we agree that God knows everything from the very beginning to the end? He knows it all. So the question is, if God loves us and he is good, why then do oftentimes we express that it is hard to follow after the Lord? It's not really hard. Um, it's not hard to submit to the Lord. And um, I feel like a lot of people just have a natural barrier against this word submit. It just means that you put yourself under and you choose to have the other person in a greater place. Uh, that's what Jesus is describing when he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We must relinquish control, right? We call him Lord is because he is the one in control and we have to surrender control. Um, my grandfather was a pastor to the American Indians, the Native Americans, in a few different states. I don't think I heard it from him, but I heard it from another person that was ministering to the Native Americans. They saw in one of the worship services uh, some of the Native Americans lifting their hands like this with their palms down. And they said, well, when we worship, we lift our hands up. And he says, well, I know my tendency is to hold on to things. So I just, with my palms out, I say, Lord, I'm releasing everything to you. I thought, that's a good thing to remember, right? Because, you know, if your palms are up, you can say, well, I kind of still have control of that, right? But if they're out like this, you're just releasing it all. And um, this is the thing that we need to remember. Our old nature will always fight against anyone who wants to take control even God. Uh, when Martin and I were first married, we were able to start to do marriage counseling to people. And um, I, we heard some people that were like new in marriage and they were saying, you know, that person's always trying to make me change. And then the other one would say, well, you're always saying this and I have to defend myself. And I realized in marriage, oftentimes the spouse becomes like a mirror, right? And in real life, you know, let's say you've just had a meal and you go in and you look at your face. Maybe you have some food on your cheek or in your teeth. If you look in the mirror and you see something wrong, what do you do? You fix it, right? But in marriage, for some reason, you, the other person says, hey, you know, that is not so pleasant the way that you're talking or that's not so pleasant the way that you're acting. And what do they do? They try to break it. Right. Break the mirror so it doesn't convict me that I need to change. And it's all because we're fighting against someone else who gives us a rebuke or a correction because we don't want them to be in control. And that's our old nature. If we humble ourselves, we are going to be willing to deny that old nature. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his or her cross. Uh, so this then, of course, speaks about Jesus' death on the cross to save us from our sins and that we also need to see that the only way that I can approach the Father is through the cross 
and that I have to be willing to die to my old sinful nature. Um, there have been a people, uh, one of them's name was Arthur Blessing. I think he was in the late 70s. He walked with a wooden cross, a big one. He walked from one coast to another, all the way across America. Well, uh, I think it's a good testimony to be willing to take up a cross in that way. But let's remember that in the context, taking up a cross isn't a form of physical exercise, right? You don't lift the cross to get stronger. You remember that the cross in those days only represented death. And it's death to the old nature, right? It's death to allowing yourself to be in control, that you are submitting to Jesus. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You can't truly follow Jesus if you're still allowing the sinful nature to dominate your life, right? If you have a sin or sins that remain in your life and they're a dominating aspect of your life, you can't really say that you're following Jesus because Jesus wants you to die to that old sinful nature and to follow him. Uh, the good news is that Jesus provides us salvation, but also he gives us victory over the sinful nature. Aren't you happy that you're not the same person you were when you first became a believer? I'm so happy, right? He frees us to live the life that he wants us to live not to live as the old person that we said, oh, you know, like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? The answer is, Thank be, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we find out that in him there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ who do not live according to the flesh. If we're following Jesus, we're to remember that we can't consistently be living in sin. And if we are, then there's a barrier, there's a problem in our relationship with the Lord. And again, let me ask you the question, why is it that sometimes we ourselves or other people like to express that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus? Well, you just need to remember his instructions. You have to come after him. You have to deny yourself. You have to remember that the cross is not a place of defeat, but it's a place of victory over the old sinful nature. And that the true freedom comes in following Jesus. For people that live in persecuted countries, lands of uh, places where there's persecution, for sure, there is a difficulty that comes towards just being a Christian. Uh, there are consequences for following Jesus. And in Muslim countries, uh, when a person who is born a Muslim turns and has faith in Jesus, and they profess that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that person could be rejected by their family. They could even be put to death. And it's happening. Uh, but that's not a difficulty because of their walk with the Lord in regards to the Lord being difficult. It's a difficulty because they're living in an unredeemed society. Uh, 
the difficulties that we experience are because unbelievers, people that are not Christians in society, reject God and they reject people who follow God. Those are truly hard consequences for following Jesus. But let us never act like it's hard for us to walk with the loving Savior, right? Um, he knows what is best for us. He provides what is good for us. So let's remember this, whoever desires to come after me. The Lord wants a loving relationship. Uh, he wants us to surrender control so that he then has control over our life. And let's remember that he is good. And even if we're weary because of the things that we experience in life, we can come to the Lord Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, right, that's the instrument that linked two animals so that they would walk together as they were plowing a field. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is he saying? He's saying, as you join yourself with me, you're going to find out I'm doing the work and you're just walking alongside me. He says, take my yoke or join yourself with me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You know what? If anyone uh, approaches you and says, I'm so discouraged, I'm so depressed, and right now through the discipleship app that I have on the phone, one of the biggest things that people are writing about is I'm depressed and I feel alone. But we have a promise. All we have to do is tell people, look, if you come to Jesus, you will find rest for your soul you will find that he is good and that his burden is light. So let us remember to profess our faith and God's faithfulness, to live in submission to Jesus. When we do, we will find that life is not difficult, it's joyful. I'm happy to be a believer. I'm challenged by the world's circumstances, right? It's hard to watch the news and not to feel empathy and sometimes sorrow for what you see. But day by day, hey, I'm thankful that I'm a believer in Jesus. And as you're faithfully following Jesus now, even if you endure hardships on earth, you will find out he is with you in those hard times. He provides his communion. And in the future, we're going to receive the Father's praise. We're going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So don't be afraid to surrender. Uh, today we're going to take the broken bread and the cup. You can confess your sins. If there's any sin that's been dominating your life, remember that he can cleanse you. And even the act of foot washing, right? They had been baptized, but as uh, Jesus was sharing the Passover meal with them, he says, uh, you have been washed, but you need to be bathed with your feet. And maybe you've struggled a little bit with sin. Maybe you've struggled with disappointment or following the Lord. Uh, this is also a time to remember that the Lord wants to make you clean. God is good. And let's remember as we follow him, he's going to lead us in victory. He's going to help us to be established. And if we're faithful in this life, as we enter into heaven, we're going to hear, well done, 
good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We ask for mercy. We pray for forgiveness for our failures and that you would help us to see that it is easy to walk with you. It is good to be your disciple. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to reflect who you are to others, that they would see that you're good, you're faithful, you're able to comfort our hearts and impart your vision and your hope. We want to pray, Lord, that you'd keep us faithful even as things around us get difficult and dark, and that we would always remember the one who began a good work is faithful to complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. We want to ask, Lord, that you prepare our hearts, prepare us as we serve one another, as we uh, enter into the time of the foot washing, as we enter into the time of the fellowship meal and the broken bread and the cup. We pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and that we would do all things as unto you. We commit ourselves to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.